0: Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us back on the podcast, Paul Tripp. Uh, Paul sent in a message, I think it was back in September 2021, where, um, yeah, it was just phenomenal. We learned about longevity um, and ministry from him. I am just have a desire in 2023 to have some specific episodes when it comes to sexuality. sexuality. And so I reached out to to Paul and his ministry about his book, Sex in a Broken World, How Christ Redeems What Sin Distorts. Um, And they shared that, you know, he's doubled the amount of grandchildren and he's not taking podcast interviews, but they shared a message that he had... um, delivered around um, the subject of the book and really appreciated it. So this today will be a different format. It won't be me sitting down and interviewing him, but rather it'd be him sharing a message. Um, It's very insightful. It's, uh, you know, in the Christian world, sexuality is something we know. But a majority of the time, it seems like we put our head down and we're embarrassed to talk about it. At the same time, our culture is talking about it, and uh, yeah. So, my desire is just for us to to open the subject um, a little bit more to get some more wisdom and insight, and uh, just around sexuality and what it means. He'll talk about pornography. He'll talk about um, how how the world has distorted um, what God created is something good and pleasurable. The world has distorted. And so you're probably gathering gathering that if you have children listening in, this I'm not saying this wouldn't be an episode, once you listen to it and you decide that it would be, hey, you'd some, want something you'd want them to listen to, that's your choice. But if you're listening in the car or you're cooking or you have it on loud, I would advise you to listen to this episode first and then decide, do you want to have these conversations with your kids? Um, and so if you have a younger ears listening in, um, this would be one of those episodes, like I said, just to listen to first. And then as parents, you would be able to to decide um, if you wanted to your children to listen and you want to discuss the contact it's not explicit at the same time as a parent i would want that warning um, just ahead so i'm not ended up at the dinner table having to discuss things i wasn't planned to do and so anyway just wanted to let you know about that do ask you to continue to send in your questions for back channel with that's where we sit down with dick foth and go over questions that listeners have sent in well there's no time better than now to get started so here we go
1: you find sexual sanity in a world that's gone insane what does it look like to be pure in the crazy environment that we live in I want to look with you at what is the most straightforward sex passage probably in the entire Bible And it's a very, very interesting passage, because it's not really a passage about culture. It's not really a passage about the body. It's not really a passage about relationships. It's a passage about the heart. When the Apostle Paul thinks, okay, How can I be as practical as it's possible to be in discussing sexuality? He immediately thinks of the heart. And that emphasis goes back to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said... If a man looks after a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus says what's hot and happening, what's serious and important in the area of purity and sexuality is not just the body, it's the heart. If you lose the battle of the heart, you'll never win the battle of the body. Now, before we look at the passage, I want to just talk about the heart for a moment. When the Bible talks about the heart, what is it talking about? That word is one of the most often used words in Scripture. It's used in hundreds and hundreds of passages. I'm deeply persuaded if you don't understand what the Bible is talking about the heart, you won't understand the grand themes of the Bible. Well, here it is. The Bible essentially divides the human being into two pieces your outer man and your inner man. Your outer man is your physical self. It's the house that God has designed for your heart while you're here on earth. Like astronauts have a space suit. This is your earth suit. Uh, Someday we're going to get a new suit. Some of us are excited about that. And then the Bible talks about the inner man. It uses many, many words for the inner man mind emotion spirit soul will and they're all collected by one big basket term the term heart now here's what the bible is describing if you take all of the descriptions of the bible about heart the heart is the causal core of your personhood the heart is the causal core of your personhood it's the seat of your emotions, it's the seat of your desires, it's the seat of your thinking. That means this, your behavior is more formed by what's inside of you than what's outside of you. The things outside of you, the people and situations and locations outside of you are influential, but they're not determinative. What really determines what you do or say is inside of you, not outside of you that's very humbling and so that means that my biggest sexual struggle the thing that i really need to deal with need to understand and need to work on exists outside of me and it exists inside of me not outside of me. my problem is not just the people around me my problem is not just the environment around me My problem is not just the situations and locations of everyday life. My problem is my heart. And so this passage has in it four heart perspectives. If You get a hold of these and you live inside the boundaries of these four perspectives. You're on the road to sexual sanity. You're on the road to a life of purity. Here's the first one. It's the principle of mastery. Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, but not everything's permissible. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, when Paul says all things are lawful, he's not quoting scripture. He's quoting the thinkers of his day. And here's what he's essentially saying. Imagine for a moment that everything in sex was legal. Like there were no rules. There were no boundaries. Like everything you could ever want or desire in any situation with any person was legal, you would still have a huge problem because you have a mastery problem. Your big problem in sex is not rules. Your big problem is that you have this heart inside of you that always lives under the control of something. Your problem is that there's a war for control of your heart in every dimension of your life. There's a war for control of your heart. Yes, even in the area of sexuality. Let me put it this way. A desire for even a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. That's the struggle. Sex is a good thing. It's created by God. You should never, ever be ashamed that you're a sexual human being. You should never be mortified by sexual desire. All of that is good and created by God, but it must not control you. You must not say, I have such a desire for sex. I don't care what the boundaries are. I don't care what the rules are. I don't care what God says. I don't care what this moment means for this other person. I'm going to have what I want, when I want it, where I want it. At that point, point, you're a person in deep difficulty because you are under control of something that never was created to control you. Sex is not just a body or relationship or location problem. It's a mastery problem. Second principle. It's the principle of eternity. In the middle of this passage, Paul says, God raised the Lord from the dead and he'll raise us one day. If you're reading a passage on on sex and you start reading about the resurrection, you think, what in the world is going on here? Maybe this writer just had a senior moment and forgot what his topic was and began writing about the resurrection. Well, no, this is very, very important. You see, there's only two ways of living. You can live as if this moment is all that I have. This moment is my ultimate moment. And The purpose of this moment is to get all the happiness and all the pleasure and all the enjoyment you can get. Or you really do believe that this moment is not all that we have, that this moment is really a preparation for another moment that we were hardwired for forever And this moment, I must not ever live in this moment as if the pleasures of this moment are the end of the game because they're not. Now, here's the problem. You were hardwired for eternity. So that inside of you is a desire for paradise. Every human being walks around with a desire for paradise. But here's what you need to understand. This moment in this broken, messed up world populated by flawed and sinful people will never be the paradise that you seek. And if you try to turn this moment into paradise by putting pleasure in a much higher position than it ever was meant to be, you will will be a person in trouble. And things like sexuality will become much more of an obsession to you, much more important to you than in God's design they ever meant to be. There's a reason why Western culture is sexually obsessed. It's because we've denied eternity. No longer. Do the great philosophers and thinkers of Western culture believe in eternity? And if that's the case, all we're left with is the here and now, and all we're left with is how much pleasure can I get in, that, in this moment? No wonder we're sexually crazy. Even in the most intimate moments of the human experience, I was designed to live with eternity in view. I was designed to remind myself that life isn't to be found in the pleasures of this moment. This moment is not a destination, it's a preparation for the ultimate pleasures that are to come. That is central to everything we believe as a Christian community. Principle of mastery, the principle of eternity. Third principle, the principle of unity. At this point, this passage becomes its most shocking. And I'm going to be very honest about what this passage is teaching. So fasten your seatbelts. Do you not know, this is verse 18, that your bodies are members of Christ? Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Now, here's the principle of unity. If you're God's child, you have been uniquely and inextricably united to Christ. You are one with Christ. Now, we all sort of understand that spiritually, but Paul cranks this up. And this is not something that's taught very often, but it needs to be taught. He says this union with Christ, between the believer and Christ, is not just a spiritual thing, it's a physical thing. The members of your body
2: have been united to Christ. The members of your body,
1: even your sexual organs, have been united to Christ. That's what he's saying. And when he says, Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute? What members do you
2: think he's talking about there? Don't look down and smile. He's
1: talking about your sex organs. Now, think of this. Think of this reality that that means whatever I'm doing, whenever I'm doing it, whoever I'm doing it with, I take Christ with me. If I'm looking at pornography, Christ is looking at pornography
2: with me. If I'm in the bathroom masturbating, Christ is in that experience with me.
1: If I've used somebody for my sexual pleasure and I walk away and I don't care what that means to them emotionally,
2: Christ is in that experience. How holy is this? You're never there by yourself. You're
1: never free to put your faith over here while you get off over here. It's not the way it works. Your spiritual life and your physical, sexual life are uniquely and totally bound together. You never leave one to enjoy the other. It's impossible. You're not two people, you're one person. As Christ's child united to Christ, And that is a deeply physical thing. Now, there's also a beautiful comfort in this. It means this, that because I'm inextricably united to Christ, I'm never alone in my sexual confusion. I'm never alone in my sexual struggle. I'm never alone in sexual temptation. I'm never alone. I'm never alone. I'm never alone. Because wherever I go, Christ is with me. I'm not left to my own wisdom. I'm not left to my own strength. I'm not left to my own resolve. I'm not left to my own discipline. Because Christ is with me and he brings the full power of his amazing grace to every moment of my experience. If I didn't believe this, I wouldn't be speaking in chapel today about this thing called purity or sanity because I want to speak for myself.
2: I have no natural ability inside of me to be pure. I want things that I shouldn't want.
1: I still see things with my eyes and struggle not to think things that I shouldn't think. Maybe in the area of sex, God exposes how much weakness lives inside of us. You can desire to be pure and get up on your computer, and all of a sudden you feel compelled and you feel like you're just drawn. Listen, we're good at talking about the grace of past forgiveness. And we're good at talking about the grace of future hope, but we're not so good at talking about the grace for the struggles of the here and now. We must begin to believe in the nowism of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not me fighting culture. It's not me fighting temptation. It's Christ who fights on my behalf, even in moments when I don't have the sense enough to.
2: Because he's with me. My hope isn't that I'll just get my sexual act together. My hope
1: is my life has been invaded by the grace of the one
2: who is the I am. Principle of mastery. I will not let myself be controlled by this thing.
1: The principle of eternity, I must not live as if this moment is all there is and the pleasure of this moment is all that I have. The principle of unity, I'm inextricably united to Christ. And this final principle, I think this principle gets right at the epicenter of the sexual insanity of our culture. I think it absolutely critiques and exposes it. And I think it makes sense that Paul leaves this principle as the fourth and final principle because it is clearly the very center of the struggle. It's the principle of ownership. He says this, You were bought with a price, and that means you are not your own. That means your body does not belong to you. Your life does not belong to you. Now, here's the center of the insanity of our culture. Here it is. My life belongs to me. I have the right to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it, at whatever location I want to do it, and you have no right to tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. My life is owned by me. And when you have a culture that believes that, it will end in all kinds of chaos. Because it's not true. Not only by means of creation, but by the product of the sacrifice of Christ, your life does not belong to you. There there are two very tempting lies to buy into, they really are the lies of the garden. The first one is the lie of autonomy what does autonomy say autonomy says i'm an independent human being i have the right to use expend invest my life however i want to expend it well autonomy is a delusion it's a lie because your life doesn't actually belong to you you were you were created belonging to God and you were redeemed, brought back into his ownership by means of grace. And so you have no autonomy. You you rather than have an autonomous life, you have a life of stewardship and obedience and submission and life isn't found in autonomy. Freedom isn't found in autonomy. Freedom is found in submitting to God's ownership over me. You say, well, how does that work? Because you were hardwired for for submission. You were hardwired for obedience. You are hardwired to live for God. And if you try just to live for yourself, you're not living by the principles of the universe, and it doesn't work well.
2: Everything in the created world has design attached to it.
1: A poodle can be a wonderful dog to have, but you can't keep it in an aquarium. That will lead to poodle euthanasia. You can't put your pet tropical fish on a leash and take him for a walk down the street. That descales fish. It can't work in the same way you can't choose to live in a way that you were not designed to live without negative consequences that's the way it works and so autonomy is a lie you do not have autonomy autonomous existence second lie it's the lie of self-sufficiency self-sufficiency says I have everything I need inside of myself to be what I'm supposed to be and to do what I'm supposed to do I don't need help don't help me. I don't want your instruction. I don't want your theology. I don't want your rules. I don't want your wisdom. I'm quite capable of running my own life. It's the, it's the Western culture archetype of a self-made man. Those are our heroes. But I wasn't... Put together, I wasn't designed, I wasn't hardwired to run my own life. I just couldn't pass that physical. That's way above my pay grade. I was made dependent, hear what I'm about to say, on truth outside of myself in order to make sense out of life. Do you know what the very first thing God did with Adam and Eve, who were perfect people in a perfect world, living in a perfect relationship with God, the first thing God did after he created them, do you know? He talked to them. He began to talk to them because he knew although they were perfect people living in a perfect world, now in perfect relationship with him, they had no capacity to understand their world. They had no capacity to run their own lives independently. So God immediately began to talk to them because they needed truth outside of themselves in order to make sense
2: out of life. You see my life doesn't
1: actually belong to me. I wasn't designed to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, with whoever I want to do it, as much as I want to do it. I was designed to live inside of the wise and gracious boundaries set for me by the person who created me and owns me.
2: Now here's what the sexual struggle is about. The sexual struggle
1: is about mastery. It's about being controlled by that which should never control me. The sexual struggle is about pleasure obsession that is the result of being an eternity amnesiac. Because if the game is, this is all you have, then the game is get as much pleasure as you can get while you're still here. The sexual struggle is a, sexual, is, is a struggle of heart identity. You need to know who you are. Because once you begin to know who you are, it completely changes the way you think about sex. And what Paul says, if you're God's child, you are inextricably united to Christ. You take
2: Christ with you everywhere. And the sexual struggle is about ownership you're either saying
1: my life belongs to me get your hands off it or you're saying my life doesn't belong to me and if it doesn't belong to me then I need to stay inside of the boundaries of the one who owns me you see If you stay inside the boundaries of mastery, eternity, unity, and ownership, those boundaries will be walls of protection against the utter, expansive, scary insanity of the surrounding culture when it comes to sex. Your choice, your choice in this holy moment that we have together this morning
2: is, will I choose to live inside
1: of these protective boundaries? Will I recognize the battle for control of my heart and, and fight being mastered by something that should not master me? Will I really live in little moments as if I believe in eternity and getting all the pleasure I can get right now is not the name of the game? Will I live as if, as a Christian, I really believe in this incredible union with Christ that's not just physical, but is spiritual? Be confronted by that and be comforted by
2: that. Or... Will I tell myself again and again,
1: in the little and small moments of life, I belong to me? You shut up and leave me
2: alone. Just shut up and leave me alone. There's there's the issue. How would I like to end with you? Well. Here's how I'd like to end. You don't have to be ashamed that you're a sexual being. You don't have to be ashamed
1: that you're susceptible to sexual temptation. You don't have to hide your struggle in guilt and fear. You don't have to deny the influence of the world
2: around you, as powerful as it is. You don't have to fake it.
1: Front in front of other people as if you're okay when you're not okay. You don't have to be ashamed that you find yourself in
2: confusion you don't have to worry that you have questions that
1: are unanswered you don't even have to be ashamed that at moments you doubt God at moments you think that you're smarter than God and your way is better than him because listen God understands all of that mess. He chose for us to live in this broken down world. And He
2: understands every one of those struggles. And He won't turn His back on you. I don't know if you've thought
1: about this but the most significant moment of the suffering of jesus was not physical the most significant moment of the suffering of jesus was relational it's that moment when the father turned his back on the son unthinkable And Jesus on the cross cries, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hear what I'm about to say. Jesus willingly took your rejection so that as his child you would never again see the back of God's head. That means your acceptance with with God is based not on your righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ. That means that you are no more accepted by God on your worst sexual moment, the darkest sexual moment, than you are on your purest moment. Because your acceptance with God is not based on
2: your performance. It's based on the righteousness of Christ. So broken, failing,
1: deviant people can stumble their way to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and find hope.
2: I plead with you, don't bury your sexual struggle. Don't bury the dark things that you're doing.
1: Don't bury desires that you shouldn't have. Run for hope and run for help because there's help
2: in the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel doesn't just provide for us the best and most
1: accurate diagnosis of the sexual struggle. The Bible offers us cure. And that cure isn't a theology. It isn't a list of rules or do a bunch of do's
2: and don'ts. That cure is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he is in your life so that every broken thing
1: will be fixed. And he is not surprised or discouraged by our brokenness. He doesn't move away from us in our brokenness. He moves toward us in grace.
2: Mastery. Eternity. Unity. Ownership protective
1: boundaries for the heart of a loving Messiah so that you
2: would know sanity in a world gone insane. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we
1: would thank you for the power and practicality of your word, that it really does scratch us where we itch. But we thank you even more for the personal work of the Lord Jesus, that we don't have to live in fear, we don't have to live in guilt, we don't have to live in shame, we don't have to hide, we don't have to act like we're something that we're not. We can run in brokenness to you and find particular mercy to help particular us in particular moments of need. Thank you. And we pray these things in the sweet and strong name of Jesus, the Lamb, the Savior, the King. Amen.